Hello and welcome to The Problem With My Dog Is by GetWelp. This is a podcast that's all about shining a light on the problems dogs face. The pandemic has hit everyone hard and lots of us have bought puppies or rehomed dogs to help us get through the difficult times and beyond. After all, a dog is a man's best friend, right? Well, our mental health has suffered during the pandemic, but we overlook the impact it's had on the nation's dogs. Whether it's a lack of training or a lack of access to good training, maybe it's strange living conditions. And we know there's been lots of dogs who have suffered with a lack of proper socialization. And now many of us are going back to work and leaving our dogs at home. There's lots of issues that are popping up with our dogs, which are having a big impact on not just them, but you as owners and your dog trainers. GetWelp was founded by dog owners who want to completely change the dog industry forever. We want better care for our dogs and to give everybody better access to the world's best trainers. So join us every week where we will go into depth about real life issues you're facing and speak to people across the dog industry, from trainers to behaviorists, to experts, to nutritionists, to dog owners and beyond about real life dogs, specific doggy problems and their solutions. Episode two is here and whoa, am I excited to welcome Gemma from Sussex Canines to the pod. We dive into full puppy mode for this podcast and obviously with over a million puppies being bought during the pandemic this could have a huge impact on our listeners um, there's no signs of that puppy rush slowing down actually either so if you are buying a new puppy soon and you want to dive deep into how you can set your puppy up for the most success when they arrive on your doorstep at eight weeks old make sure you listen to this one Gemma is brilliant as always her details as a trainer can be found in the show notes below this podcast episode so if you want her help please reach out make sure you do she is such a cool trainer and she is one of get Welp's biggest fans so um Gemma, take us away on the puppy 101 welcome Gemma. thank you how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, I know we've just had about uh, how long were we on the chat for there? We were half an hour yeah. intro <laughs> outside of the recording. So um, I'm super excited for this episode, uh, the Puppy 101, um, or whatever we decide to call it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, purely because. Yes, uh, this morning, actually, my neighbour dropped round a Cavapoo puppy and I was like, she looks a bit underweight. And um, and so you said, yeah, God. So we've had this discussion around kibble versus raw food, which we'll get into and hopefully not have too many overbearing opinions on, um, like yes. many people in the industry, apparently. And, um, and yeah, talk about puppies because um, everybody's got a puppy right now. Yes, there's been a massive puppy boom with lockdown there has been yeah there has been two million dogs have been added to the circulation in oh really the crazy two million that is ridiculous two million that's a lot of puppies like, there's a lot of puppies uh, uh, yeah my household's about to add to that population by getting hopefully a ridgeback which uh, we've also been talking about a lot so um so we are going to chat about dogs puppies toilet um food and whatever else we think is going to come up in puppies yeah i would like to start with a case study that you've worked on as this podcast will go into real life stories real life case studies from you dog trainers and me us get well dog owners breaking down this weird and wonderful world of training and basically um, treating us like idiots because <laughs> really we all are complete novices all the time. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, 
let's uh, let's chat about a case study. Um, what's been it? You, you, you just before we started recording, you said I had a case study where a do- a puppy was getting up the owner in the middle of the night, and they thought it was to go to the toilet. Yes. So it's I would yes. Basically, the puppy obviously when it was little did need to get up in the middle of the night. And it learnt that when it barked in the night, its owners got up, took it out, it got attention, it had a nice time, um, and so it it basically became rewarding for it. So it learnt that barking in the night meant I summon my owners and they come, and I get to have a good time. So um, what we did to fix that, and what I generally would recommend doing when trying to get your puppies to sleep through the night in general, um, is to look at roughly what time your puppy's getting you up because it's usually roughly the same time each night whether once or twice it, it depends on the puppy um and then These puppies are clever little bastards aren't yeah, they yeah they're very very clever very very conniving <laughs> so they they'll roughly get you up at the same sort of time set your alarm to just be before that time um so if they've got quite a, if they've got a reasonable bracket just make sure you you're kind of encompassing times which you're going to get them up before they get you up and you're going to go downstairs or go to them wherever they are and really really calmly without too much fuss and attention pop them on the lead take them out to go to the toilet some really calm verbal praise is the most they're ever going to get and then you pop them back in to wherever they sleep at night and then you go when back you to say bed. okay mm-hmm. when you say calm verbal verbal praise yep so that, that does not mean like Oh my God! Well done. Well, that that means well done. Yeah, it'd literally or be something um, like that. I would probably so, as you know, James, I actually have a puppy at the moment, and I've been going through this. So she has just turned five months. So we and have. She is a Hungarian Vizsla. Yes, correct. So she's now, Beautiful thank goodness, dogs. sleeping through the night. Beautiful. But how long did it take you to do that as well? Um, Sleep through the night. Around four months, she was consistently sleeping through the night. So that's it's a lot. It's a long twelve weeks. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of sleepless nights for both of us, but um, it was worth it because now she's very, very comfortable at night. She goes through quite easily, and for the rest mm. of her life, fingers crossed, that's me done with that 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 particular job. So I've put a lot of time and effort in it at the beginning, and it's going to pay off. And that's the same with a lot of our puppy training is that it is a bit of a pain at the beginning and it takes a lot of work because they're learning so fast in those early weeks that we need to put a lot of effort in to make sure they're learning the right thing. Mm. But back to your question. Um, yeah. Yes. Calm verbal praise at most would be probably your puppy's cue to go to the toilet. So where that might be hurry up. That's a really common one. I just calmly say hurry up as they're going. Really? good girl good boy as they finish then go back inside no major fuss no 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 cuddling no no kind of extra attention and it's and you really want to take them out on lead so they can't go and start a play session on their own they can't go and start exploring other stuff and having a good time away from you so it's very much you're going to control that um trip outdoors so it's nice and calm they've got their job to do they do it they go back inside okay that is fascinating the bit about the lead because i for one when i had bonnie who uh is my border collie that lives with my parents unfortunately she wouldn't last a day in the flat with diesel um we i just chucked her out basically i'd I'd wake up when i heard her whining and then i put her out completely wrong thing to do but anyway actually it, it is on the lead that is the most important thing it's, there i think because yeah i could be wrong it it keeps them the lead and the lack of attention for nighttime toileting are probably the the, the two main takeaways there um definitely i do all at the moment i'm still doing almost all toilet trips outside on a lead once she goes she may then have some time off lead outside but right now, she's still very much interested in doing a lot of gardening and pruning my plants that I'd like her not to prune. So um, the lead is there for management and for safety to make sure she's not eating things mm-hmm. she shouldn't. And it just keeps her on task. So she knows when we go out, I'm going to take her to a, 
her set place in the garden um, if you choose to do so but taking her there she goes to the toilet and then I'd probably during the daytime especially do an extra few laps of that little area to make sure she doesn't need to go again um, because generally they're very easily distracted if mm. you interrupt them accidentally or if something interrupts them when they're mid toileting they'll stop and you'll think okay great they're done um, and then you take them back inside and they kind of go oh actually no I did still need to go to the toilet and then they just go where they are um, so if you're having that problem of you're taking them out they're going to the toilet and then they're going back inside and toileting fairly soon afterwards it's probably that they've they're being distracted outside and they're not completely toileting so that's also where our calm praise comes in. Even during the day, the praise should be relatively calm around going to the toilet. Because if you're too exciting or if the, the reward mm. is too amazing at the end, they'll just want to toilet multiple little times to get that amazing reward. That's amazing. Um, to go back to the nighttime toilet yep. issue or the case study, mm -hmm. what like what's the psychology behind actually getting there before is it to break the cycle of habit yeah so that's one they're not practicing the i the, the the kind of the behavior of i bark i can summon my owner and i can get attention so that's right. the more they rehearse a particular behavior the more it will become habit and if you have any attention so this particular dog that i'm talking about generally exhibited attention seeking behaviors during the day as well she didn't like to be away from her owners um and so she would bark during the day to also get their attention so it was very easily then tripped into that becoming a nighttime problem as well so um yep yeah, so stop that behavior from from kind of repeating also if they learn that you are the one that's going to come you're going to come down when it's time to go out or you're going to come down when it's time to um just for them to be released from their pen or their crate or the room that they're in wherever they are at night they get very much used to then the fact that right okay I am here until my owner comes to get me and they don't feel the need to then cry or or kind of try and get your attention so now I mean the other day I did accidentally have my puppy sleeping for an hour longer than I intended because I didn't get up quick enough in the morning and she didn't cry she didn't try and get out she didn't bark she was like oh it's just obviously not time to get up yet and so she just chilled out until I went and got her that's a big moment yeah that was a bad moment for me because I should have got up but a good moment for her because she she but did what, a good job okay, what, but why why is that a bad moment for you like or is that are we just joking there because yeah, I want to no, know if there's no no I mean obviously I don't want to push the time that she's um too much because i don't want her to get to the point where she's uncomfortable and she desperately of needs course. to go to the toilet um she is still little so um yeah from first from a keep for her comfort it was it was a bad job on my part mm. um i know we were going to talk about well we weren't we were going to do um breeding and um and the process of buying a puppy or getting a puppy, we're going to do another podcast episode. But yep. actually, I would love to dive into it now because... Okay. It, <laughs> yeah. Because as you know, we are looking for a Ridgeback yes. puppy. Now, I've done a hell of a lot of uh, research on uh, on breeders, but also the... the the breed the, itself. Um, the breed itself. But I, I kind of also know that in the process of getting a puppy, a vast majority of the British population and population worldwide actually don't do a huge amount of research. They just go and get a puppy. Yeah. True. Yeah. I, what, I do what like... What should we be looking for? So, Sorry, go on. No, yeah. I, I like to ask as the very first question in all of my classes is why did you pick the dog that you've got it gives me a really good indication as to how much thought someone's gone into or, or what mm. drives their their need for that for that particular dog that, that just tells me a lot about them as to what are the most common answers you get from that question usually it usually it's something breed related so i'm very fortunate that the most of my clients have put some thought into that but it's right okay it's usually this particular breed is meant to be good with children or i had one who was um this particular breed is very good with cats and they, they their cat was their world basically and it was their children that wanted a dog and so they wanted a, a dog that was going to be good with their cats 
Um, I'm not entirely sure that that is a breed specific thing, but that's what they were going with. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I see because I'm a Vizsla owner, I tend to see a lot of Vizslas. So a dog that's going to be involved in family life and go out on day trips and keep up with the kids. I, I see that a lot because I, I train a lot of Vizslas. And that's usually what drives people towards a Vizsla. Mm. Um, yeah. The process of buying a puppy. Yes. Right? Okay, let's talk about breeders. Because we had a chat about uh, a couple of breeders. And I was saying, God, like the extortionate prices that are being charged yep. are actually mind-blowing and actually crippling. Um what are the most important things we as dog owners should be looking for? Because honestly, the process of buying a puppy is a complete lottery to me yeah. as a dog owner. Because I'm like, I don't, I don't know what questions should I be asking? What should I be being asked? Yeah, it is, it is a complete minefield. Okay, so I'm going back a little bit now and thinking what I what I was doing when I was looking for a breeder. So, assuming that you have done your research on the breed and you know which breed you're going for i would mm. then on paper if you've decided that's the breed for you i then want to go and meet them so you could contact the each breed will have its own club usually you could contact them and ask if there are any local breeders in your area most breeders should ideally if they're involved with their club be quite happy for you to join them on a walk outside meet their dogs chat to you about the breed that's how i, f I found my my first um breeder could, um, I, could i just ask you a quick question mm, so i jump in you talk about clubs like what, what is that so it's just an organization that has been developed um, or put together to better the breed. So they right, will usually do um, breed specific shows. They will help guide health regulations within their breed. They will often do a breed rescue or that may be a separate club, but they'll usually be a great source of information of people that have owned that breed for a long time that really want to champion their breed. They're going to be experts in the breed that you've chosen. So I would definitely contact mm -hmm. them. See, this is the kind of stuff that who knew there was going to be a Ridgeback club? Like you just, I just yep. go to a breeder. There are actually several Ridgeback clubs for different parts of the country as well. Really? Yep. So actually, you recommend I get in touch with my club first? Yeah. So for you, that would be the Southern Rhodesian Ridgeback Society. One sec, let me just write this down. <laughs> <laughs> Southern Rhodesian... Okay, wow. Listeners, every day is a school day. Yep. And that's only because I had Ridgebacks growing up. I don't actually know all the breed clubs for all the different no, breeds. That's fine. No, no, no. That's fine. That's all I need anyway. Um, <laughs> stuff everyone else. Um, okay. So what what questions should I be asking? I've, I've gone to a club. I've gone on a walk. They've said, okay, actually, you should go for um, Jane Doe's breeder um, and... Um, and I get there, what should I be doing? Yep, so I would want to know, I'd probably explain to the person you're talking to about your lifestyle. Why do you want a dog? What is it that you're going to do day to day with your dog? What ambitions do you have with them? What's your family unit like? What's your work life like? And they will be able to explain to you whether their breed is likely to fit in with your lifestyle. Um, Obviously, when they're puppies, you're probably going to have to tweak your lifestyle slightly. But long term, you're going to want a dog that fits in with what you want to do. So it's really important that you th you actually find a breed that's going to be kind of work with that. Basically, if you yeah, if you're living in a flat in the city and you work all day, you're not going to want an active working breed like a collie. Wouldn't be a good match. No. So it's basically just they you're going to want a Ridgeback. <laughs> They like to do it at roaming as well. <laughs> so right, Diesel does two hours a day, so he he gets a lot of roaming. Yeah, much much to our detriment because he goes in and steals pizzas. Yeah, it's because he roams to the pub. <laughs> he roams to the pub, yeah, and he sits down, has a pint, and then has a margarita. <laughs> Idiot. But yeah, anyway. so any breeder, it, whether you're going on just this seeing if the breeder's right for you kind of trip, or if you're looking if you're talking to a specific breeder. I expect them to grill you on your lifestyle and your your 
want for that breed or you'll want for your dog in general. If a breeder does not grill you, that would be a warning sign to me. I would not. So that's a big, big red flag, is it? Yeah. I would not buy a dog or a puppy from someone who doesn't care about me and how I can look after that puppy and whether it will fit with my lifestyle. Interesting. Because one, they should care where their puppies are Mm -hmm. going. And two, if they are a, a good breeder, you should sign a contract with them that states that if there's any reason you cannot care for that dog for the duration of its lifetime, it will go back to the breeder. Really? Yeah. Wow. So all of my dogs are on, have of that contract. It's really normal thing to do um, with good breeders. So if you're having a breeder who says, right, okay, here's your dog, that's it, no further connection, it that would be a warning sign to me, for sure. Wow. Okay. What are the other warning signs? Um, so what other things that you could expect for to having that contract would be um, that they would be kennel club registered yeah, and that they would have probably some... What does that mean? Sorry. So the kennel club is the governing sort of body, as it were. I, I don't know if I'm using the correct terminology here, really. Um, that they basically keep a register of all pedigree dogs in the United Kingdom. Okay. So if you're going, I'm assuming that if we're going to breeders, we're going for pedigree dogs. But it's it, obviously if they're crossbreeds, they wouldn't be Casey registered necessarily. They may, right, okay. they have an activity register, which is different from their pedigree register. So it's activities are allowing you to compete in some of their dog sports without a pedigree dog. Yeah. Um. So if it is a pedigree dog and it's being sold as such, it should have its kennel club paperwork as part of the sale as it were and um on that you would expect them to have certain what they call endorsements so common ones would be that you cannot breed from that dog without the breeder's permission and that's the breeders protecting their line and protecting the breed so if you did want to breed that dog you'd have to go back to the breeder and say here's the dog it's this is the reason why i want to breed it would you'd need a good reason so they've done very well in the show ring might be a good reason they're a good example of the breed um they may if they're a working dog they may have performed very well in in their working life or in trials that simulate that um That's extraordinary and then the breeder may say okay i i believe this would be a, a good reason and they may and they'd probably lift that for you but that's why a connection with your breed is going to be really really important mm. If you didn't have that lifted and you did breed from your dog, they would not be able to be registered puppies. They couldn't be Casey was... registered. So if you have right. someone who has a pedigree dog, but the puppies won't be Casey registered, that implies that either they're breeding against the endorsement um, or something else has happened which shouldn't have. Mm. Mm. So yeah, that's your main, the main one. The other one is often you'll see that you cannot permanently move abroad with your dog. So that's just right. making sure that the um, the breeder still kind of has some protection from you just go moving to a different country and breeding your dog anyway. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I mean, it is a complete minefield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is mad. Um, and there's going to be loads of people who be like, oh, well, I just went on Pets for Homes. And yeah, no problem. I, I, I'm also doing that with Ridgebacks, but being very 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 careful of who who we meet and most importantly we are going to meet them first and yes hopefully be grilled um you're a puppy expert that's your knee that your niche or your niche yeah um and um i think i'd love to go into like what you call good management with your puppy yeah so generally as, I, as we touched upon earlier, if a dog performs a behaviour and it gets the opportunity to repeat that behaviour, that generally then becomes their go-to behaviour. So what they do, they will always do more of. Okay. So management is generally there to make sure that you're limiting your puppy's choices so they cannot repeat behaviours that you don't want them to when you can't... Um, supervise them constantly because no one can be supervising your dog 100% all of the time it's just not possible with life so 
management's there to kind of say right okay I need you to, I need I, I cannot concentrate on you right now I'm going to maybe put you in the, your crate you might put them in a pen you might put them in a puppy proofed room so it's basically a fairly smallish area where they can't get up to too much mischief there's only appropriate items in there so you may leave appropriate chews with them um, some toys that are going to be safe for them to have unsupervised and a comfy bed and their water bowl okay. of course Let, i just want to break this down a bit bit further okay so when you talk about um performed behaviors yeah. what are we what, what's a good example of that so things like jumping up at the counters in kitchens right yeah big no big no um big no things like chewing um electric cables <sighs> Or, or chewing shoes. anything that they shouldn't be chewing, basically. Yeah, yep. I'm picking cables because that's what my puppy's preference is right now, and that came to the oh, top blind. of my head. Yeah, um, that's not, she loves that's not a good one, she loves it? chewing chargers. Um, not that she's had an opportunity to chew them, but she that's what she goes for when she has any kind of freedom. Um, so interesting. Yeah. So basically, why do they do that? Yeah. So like, jumping on the sofa if you didn't want your dog on mm. the sofa, if they have access to it, they're probably going to give it a go at some point. Mm. sofas are up high our dogs generally quite like being up high and they're going to smell strongly of you so it's going to be a comfortable comforting yep. place for them to be so yeah having free access to sofas when you're not around they're probably going to pick it okay if they've if they've not been taught otherwise okay so the puppy has performed a um let's call it an undesirable behavior yeah um and you're stood there like, oh, God, not again. And would you, are you then picking the puppy up or, or taking the puppy? Just how, how, are, you, how are you then, Managing after the them. immediate actions being performed, like what, what are you then doing? Yeah, so first of all, it would, de it would de depend a little bit on what the actual behavior was. So obviously if it's chewing something they shouldn't have, I would immediately want to remove the puppy from that situation. So... I might entice them over to me. I might, um, depends on how comfortable your puppy is and just ha having, I get my puppies very used to having my hands in their mouths um, from very young. So I can easily take something off them if I need to. Um, yep. I would then probably just then go, right, okay, well, that was my fault. I've, mm. I've got that wrong. And I think, right, okay, how do I stop that from happening next time? What is my learning from that situation? Yeah. And the important thing there is actually it is not the puppy's fault, correct? Correct. Because this is where so many people go wrong. They think, oh, that fucking thing or whatever. It is their fault. It is not our fault. Yeah. If your puppy is making mistakes, that is your fault. You've... Okay. But why is that so important? Because, uh, yeah, a lot of people will think that our dogs are doing things to upset us. They will think mm. that they're doing things to um, spite us, um, especially if we've had a bad day and, and our puppies are then turned into a little devil. Um, usually it's it's much easier for us as humans to then put that on the dog. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's but it's it's very important to know that they are puppies. They are they are teeny tiny little babies in the world. They haven't they haven't learned to do the right thing. They haven't got the, the control and the ability to um to actually to actually make good choices yet no they've got no idea <laughs> no and they've not been around long enough for us to necessarily instill the, the good behaviors yet so that's mm. what management is there for you manage in parallel to training what you'd rather they did and then you slowly take that management away as they get older okay diesel is a puppy we'll, we'll, we'll even though he's nine we'll, we'll call him a puppy yeah and he has got up on the kitchen counter and he's tried to nick some food. I've caught him. Um, am I am I telling him off? I would then think, right, okay, so for me in the kitchen, the behaviour that I want my dog to exhibit is you go to your bed. So they right, have a bed okay. in the kitchen and if they're going to be in the kitchen, which my puppy's not allowed in the kitchen at the moment because there's too many tempting things there. But the adult dog, if she's going to be in the kitchen, she goes to her bed. And so yes. I would probably just send him to his bed either lead him there or ask him to go there and then reward him for going to his bed instead and i would think right okay i need to put a bit more love and power into his choosing of the bed and i would spend a lot more time doing little sessions of him going to his bed and being rewarded while he's on there 
So it becomes a rewarding place. So he'll choose his bed over the counters. I would then also make sure he's not left unsupervised in the kitchen for a little while as well. Okay. Um, then if we go a little bit further, you talk about that management place. Diesel's got up on the kitchen table, or, or, or he's got up on the kitchen counters. Um, he's not been like told off to the set. Yeah, obviously there's a no, um, and then in your bed, and so then, but then you're rewarding that behaviour of going to the bed bed because he's made a good choice. Yep. Right. The no is voluntary. Uh, the, or optional, okay, so, should we say? Right. So, see, this is what's really interesting. We always, I think, a lot of most of us will will tell off our dogs, and actually, they don't know what what. Yeah. They haven't got a Yeah. A so I gen- I generally have the rule in our house I tend not to say no. I, I tend to just ask for the behaviour I'd like instead. But the rule I generally have in, in our house uh, is if you're saying no, it has to be immediately followed with what would you like the dog to do instead? Just telling them no gives them no communication really whatsoever of what, what they should be choosing. So really? I yep, yeah, so it's a no and then lead Come them here. to or or yeah. ask them if they're old enough to understand yeah. the thing that you would like them to do instead. Mm. And this obviously goes with puppies and uh, teenage uh, adolescent dogs uh, and then into older dogs like Diesel, nine years old, right? He's, yeah. I tell him no quite a lot because he can be a bit of a bit of an asshole. Um, but um, Does he actually uh, then do what you wanted when you tell him no? Yeah, well, it depends. Like like you were saying, it actually he stops what he's doing. Yeah, but he doesn't. Then I don't think he quite understands um, like what I'm asking him to do. Yeah, that makes sense. So really, common thing is for for us to just say our dogs' names and expect them to know what it is that they're doing in that moment, yeah. that we'd, or the, yeah. what we'd like them to do in that moment. That, yeah, like diesel. Yeah, and it's just like, and the no, uh, the no okay. gets used in a very, very similar way. It's we say it expecting our dogs to have some mind reading Innate ability, superpower. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So instead of it just being no, it should be no, come here, or no, bed, or something like that. Yeah. But that that seems like we're telling off the dog. So, but then the important thing is then they get, they're getting rewarded for doing the right thing. Right. Okay. So no bed reward. Yeah. Nice. Okay. If you have a very intelligent dog, they sometimes learn that chain and they will do something Mm. wrong to be corrected, to then do the right thing, to then get rewarded. They're extraordinary. If you find that your dog is doing... So that's another form of attention seeking, really. If you find that your dog is doing that, I would then just increase the time they have to do the correct behavior for for the before they're rewarded so it may be they have to be on their bed for at least 30 seconds before you then reward wow. but that will depend on age a puppy i wouldn't necessarily expect a puppy to be able to maintain that but if it's an adult who has built up that duration on the bed and they know that they can hold that position you could then require more of them so to break that immediate chain of i do i do the bad thing i, I get asked to do the right thing i do the right thing and then get rewarded mm. Okay, here's a scenario because actually this is a real life case study because my best friend's dog, uh, miniature uh, long haired Dachshund, mm-hmm. um, really lovely dog. I've met him a couple, well, I've met him once actually, but really lovely. Um, and every time you walk into their flat, it barks. Like, it's, it's like quite not aggressive, but he's very, very wary and it takes him a long time to be like, Mm, but every time that you make a movement, it's barking. Yeah. Um. I, I I'm he- I'm really hesitant to say what would you do because I know that's not the point of this podcast. <laughs> I I would like, probably uh, want to, uh, yeah. yeah I'd want to know more about that dog. My I suspect that that dog has confidence issues and they don't feel secure. Um. And so actually the movement of people as soon as you move or as soon as you come in that can be, mm. they're finding that a bit threatening mm. and then they're barking to alert that there is some kind of danger right yeah that would be my gut instinct but without yeah, actually yeah. knowing no, more about the dog um yeah i couldn't yeah, say no, for sure I, yeah i i vowed never to do that and i've just broken it in episode two but um <laughs> it, it, it it was too tempting with a puppy expert on it's just 
Yeah. Um, because I, I I went around there the other the other the other day. Um, I think it was a couple of Fridays ago. And um, yeah, the, the dog was after probably twenty twenty five minutes. He settled down and he came to he he was he came to as a dog. Let's say let's call it that. Yeah. But actually, it for the first twenty five minutes, it, he was he felt really threatened. It was like it, there was no excitement as you'd expect a normal puppy mm-hmm. would would have when a a new interesting human being or it thing walks through the front door yeah and that's but, yeah, that is also something that we do expect we expect that puppies are going to love everyone and yeah. want to engage with everyone that's hugely down to the puppy's personality or the dog's personality i have really? one dog who really couldn't care less about people she really, really couldn't. She has no interest in, in people outside of, of our immediate family. Our current puppy loves everyone and everything. So that is a personality trait, not a puppy versus adult dog trait. Yeah. Um, as a puppy, my older dog really was exactly the same. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes we have these expectations of what a puppy will be like and what they should be like. And what? actually, it's, mm. you know... They aren't all like that. So that's exact that that would be something I would then say to the breeder. Like, do you want a really cuddly puppy? Do you want um are you happy to have a more independent dog that doesn't really want that physical touch all the time? Um, it may be that for some reason you need a dog that is going to be very bonded to their one person. Um, maybe they're really having to work with them, maybe it's an assistance dog who shouldn't be distracted by everyone else. And actually if they have a really outgoing personality in the sense of they want to go greet everyone, that can be more challenging in terms of teaching them their job. They need to be confident, they need to be happy in the world, but they um we don't want them to be distracted by everything. Yeah. A question we'll go quickly back to breeders because I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and partly I'm very interested by myself, but um, <laughs> not not everybody has the opportunity to go to a breeder mm-hmm. and spend good money on a dog. Yeah. Like there are so many people breeding dogs, rightly or wrongly, now and putting them on Pets for Home, whatever, whatever website, might even be Facebook. Um, and we as uh, prospective puppy buyers will go and think nothing of it. Um, I if I don't go to a breeder and actually I've gone to just a bloke who's selling a couple of puppies in his house because the breeding waiting list might be two years long or whatever yeah. um, it might just be crazy out there and we desperately want a puppy um, the, the whole asking questions is so important or, or, or viewing the dog's behaviour is, is actually becomes even more important then yeah, because if we're looking for a calm dog or we're looking for a lively dog, like if I was to step into somebody's house and observe eight puppies, um, like should I be looking if I wanted a calm dog, should I be looking for like the run to the litter? Should I be looking for like I know that's quite a difficult question to but, answer. Yeah, so um, that is quite difficult. And so basically, when you go into that house and you're observing those puppies, you're there for maybe an hour or two tops. It will very much depend mm. on what that pup, what each of those puppies feels like doing in those two hours. And so, when you go in and pick your puppy, in that, in that time, it, it's, I'd say basically, if you had the option to go back a couple of times at different times of day, that would be preferable, because really? you're gonna see probably different personalities on different things, um, exhibit, mm. kind of from that, that from that puppy. Yeah, you're going yeah. in a very tiny snapshot of their day. Or of their life if you have a nice breeder who is very communicative and and has learnt their puppy's personalities they're going to be the best person to judge who's going to have who's wh- wh- which of the puppies is going to be right for you so mm. for example with both of my girls i didn't choose either of them the breeder matched me with the puppy that was going to be the most appropriate for my lifestyle because i had been quizzed about why i wanted this dog what i was going to do with them and what my lifestyle was like and so the breeder knowing their puppies matched mm-hmm. me with the one that was going to be most suitable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that everyone does. It's a very, very popular in the Bizzler community. Um, 
and it's probably not something that the vast majority of puppy owners are going to experience but yeah. i'd say if you have a good conversation if you, you can have a good conversation with your breeder i would ask them is this normal for this puppy do they are they normally this lively or actually are they just having a mad five minutes and are they usually the one that's sleeping in the corner because it will really mm. really depend um mm. i guess i'm very very choosy about who i get my dogs from and if they couldn't tell me that would be another reason why i'd go oh, okay well you don't you've not learned your puppies yeah how much time are you spending with them how, how much interaction are they having um that would be something that i would be looking for from a breeder them actually knowing their, their puppies as well yeah that's absolutely fascinating i i i'm not sure that completely yeah, dr- answered your question no, <laughs> but, no but it, it, it does because i think I dread to think how many people have gone into buying a puppy completely blind and thought, oh, God, that's really cute. They've got white feet and and then bought yeah. it. And it's like, wow, okay. I mean, I know Where people that have gone and seen a puppy and then gone, oh, my goodness, this is, is, is a less than ideal situation. And they've bought that puppy to take them out of that situation. Wow. Um, and that, that I can imagine that happens quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, I think that is what most puppy farms or the run people mm. that are running puppy farms are they are almost hoping that that happens that's what's keeping their business going probably really that actually people people are either ignorant pity on them, yeah. or they see them and think right okay i'm going to rescue this puppy but they're still paying good money as far as the puppy farm's concerned they've won and that's going to fuel their ability to then carry on that that enterprise so it would, mental. as horrible as it is, if you do go and see a, a litter or you see a puppy and you think, right, okay, I, I think maybe this has come from a puppy farm, mm. the hardest thing would be to walk away. But mm. that is ultimately going to be for the better of all future puppies. Interesting. To not fuel that yeah. industry. I want to talk about kibble versus raw. Yeah, okay. We're, we're touching on food. lots of things today. We are, I know, we are, we are, we are. But we'll, we'll do this again because I'm sure there's going to be other stuff that we can go into. Um, and obviously you're, you're a big cheerleader of Get Well, so I appreciate your time. Um, kibble versus kibble, wet food, raw. Yeah. We bring this up because historically we're told as puppy owners or uh, people who've just bought a puppy, that dog owners have just bought a puppy, um, yeah, just go on kibble. Yeah. But there actually comes a point where kibble's bad for their teeth or it's not quite right. Kibble versus raw. A lot of people look at a raw diet and be like, what the hell? No way am I just going to yeah. feed my dog raw mince. But actually, in t- terms of the nutritional benefits for the dog, uh they're night and day almost yes as i understand it yeah as a, from a dog owner's perspective yeah so i just want to start with if if you are in the position where you cannot afford to feed your dog anything but a certain kibble no i don't i'm not going to judge you for that you're as long as you're doing the you've researched and you're feeding the best thing that you can afford that's the most important thing i i think but if you have the broad range of options available to you I'll kind of mm. yeah explain my reason why I would choose one over another if that was an option. Please so, do. raw feeding in in general, it's it's the most um, say biologically appropriate for a dog. It's it's in a form that the dog is able to actually make use of all those nutrients naturally. It's the easiest for them to digest. It's what their body was designed to do. So if we look at the digestive system of a dog next to a wolf, internally there's very, very little difference. Um, it's pretty much unchanged. So the diet a wolf would be eating would be equally as suitable for our domestic dogs. Puppy um, kibbles and, and processed dog foods is actually very, very kind of new in recent history i think it was probably uh, uh, i probably need to fact check this but i think it was probably something in the 50s that it it actually came about it was Mm. purely for convenience it's basically almost like the ready it's just the ready meal of the dog food industry it's not traditionally always been the most kind of uh, nutrient rich i'd say it's probably that wasn't that isn't the driving factor 
of all no. pe- of all kibble manufacturers. Um, it's ease. Yeah, it's convenience for the owner. Mm. And, and cost per kilo. Yeah, and, and cost. So obviously, most kibbles are probably going to be cheaper. I say that actually, you can you can feed a good raw diet. Um, I mean, not, diesel's not on Jane's well-beloved senior, and uh, that's that's very much on the high side in terms of cost for a dog. Yeah, I would say in terms of kibble, so uh, arguably one of the best brands we think. So um, cost, but he is a fat old boy. So I, I would warn that cost does not equal quality. There are a lot of very expensive kibble brands that I would definitely not touch. I'm not going to name any of them. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there are there are a lot that get recommended, and and the reasoning will be, oh well, it's very expensive, so it must be good. Um, so if we were to then perhaps touch upon some of the common labelling tricks that dog manufacturers use to help yes. entice us into buying stuff. So things like um, when you look at the ingredients list on a food packet it has to be listed in um, volume amount so the largest volume has to go first so what they will tend to do is have various forms of a particular meat or multiple meats and they'll group them in brackets together so that they can get a larger percentage so that it comes first on their ingredient list so you think wow this has got a really good meat content for example whereas actually if you were to break up all of those different elements so it might be they, they might break up chicken meal versus dried chicken or chicken yeah. gravy or something. Yeah. Group it all together. That volume equals more than rice, which might be, be the next ingredient, for example. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you just split it all up, rice is, is the, the thing that is actually making up the mo- most of your of that particular kibble's percentage. Mm-hmm. Okay. What should I be looking for then? I go into pets at home, for example and i check out pedigree or i go in not okay i I go into the kibble aisle or the dog food aisle what on earth should i be looking for as a dog owner i would be looking for really really clear labeling in the sense that you actually know what every single ingredient is on that list if you don't understand what it is then i i would think right okay well that's a bit of a warning sign um i personally that's a because that's a personal choice if you're not really sure what it is you don't know if it's going to be good or not. Um, I would, again, be looking for if, if any ingredients have been grouped together so that they come higher or lower on the list mm, um, to, to look for that. Um, I would be looking for things like, for example, um, if a single if a protein hasn't been named specifically. So one that which happens is like poultry fat, for example, or poultry meal so meal is basically where they've just dried and cooked the hell out of the meat until it turns to a powder um wow so they actually do that yeah so that's what the meal is jeez so you can imagine nutritionally there's not a lot left there and that's why for a lot of kibbles all the vitamins and stuff are added in at the end um because all of the good stuff actually been cooked out of all of the meat and there's nothing left so they're having to for it to be considered a viable diet they're having to put other things in at the end so there are actual vitamins and nutrients in there Mm. so um i would i'd basically be watching for anything where it doesn't specify the protein so if it's poultry that, that that means the recipe could change from one batch to the other and if you have we're having a bit of a a bit of a pandemic actually about dogs getting allergies there's a lot more dogs that i'm seeing with with allergies now Uh, and what does an allergy look like so that might be um itchy feet ear infections just um hair loss um coming up in hives um wow that sort of stuff we're seeing a lot more kind of occurrences of of that happening basically Mm. in our dogs and if you don't know the exact recipe or if it fluctuates that can be very difficult if you have a dog um, who suffers with those things or you don't or you may think oh, okay my dog's always been on this food but actually that recipe could actually quite vastly change yeah. if the ingredients aren't all specifically listed out fascinating see this is the this is the kind of stuff that 
well, I, d- I, I wouldn't know. You just go in and say, okay, well, what, what are the most well-known dog food brands? Or you go yeah. in and be like, can you advise me on this? So that's not to say that, that I mean, there are good kibble brands. There are, you know, there are, yeah. So basically, if you're going to go for a kibble, look and see if there are actual different proteins listed, actual whole yeah. ingredients. Um yeah. Obviously, it's just it's disclaimer far... here. I, I I'm not saying that all kibble's bad. Um, I, I have yep. personally have very little idea. Yeah. <laughs> but I just it's fascinating because we as dog owners tend to just shoot towards kibble or wet food, and that's that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I get... uh, well, actually, we probably shoot more towards kibble versus wet food. Yeah. And then raw food. Yeah. I think it's you'll probably get from speaking to to me i'm i am pro raw and i do i do feed raw so my, that's where my passion lies but i'm obviously not going to say that mm. um that anyone who feeds kibble is horrible definitely no, not of course. no we feed we feed we feed kibble so um you'd be calling me horrible i, I would um, <laughs> um r- r- raw food i mean a lot of people yeah i, I mean technically we probably feed diesel quite a, a, well we feed him elements of a raw food diet with the amount of broccoli, carrots, and cauliflower he eats. Yeah, you're talking about raw meat, right? Yeah. Could I go to Sainsbury's or Tesco's, for example, buy a load of mince, turkey mince, maybe, and just whack it in a bowl? I, you could. That probably wouldn't be. Um, it wouldn't be nutritionally balanced. So dogs need bone okay. in their diet. So um, and eat- why do they need bone? Uh, just that's where they get a good source of calcium and phosphorus from okay. it's 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 just part of what of, of it just helps it's really great for without sounding horrible i love talking about poop though um it helps helps good um, form good poop as well nice so but the bone the amount has to be correct so there will be a lot of um there's a there's a lot of passionate people who will say that within the raw feeding community that will do it differently so mm. there's the 80 10 10 kind of structure which is 80% meat 10% bone 10% offal and everyone will religiously oh, offal okay. um like uh, heart actually counts as a as a as a muscle meat so um liver kidneys yeah excreting nice. organs that sort of thing yeah um so that there'll be some people that say right okay dogs don't need vegetables they'll just go pure meat and bone and really? then you'll have the other group who will who will kind of put in some veg into that mix as well. Yeah. Um, so if I was to go to Sainsbury's or Tesco and thought, okay, do you know what? Diesel, you're going to have a raw food diet and we're going to change it over the next two weeks. You're going to, your digestive system's going to be like, what the hell is going on? But we'll live with that. Um, and then if I went to Sainsbury's or Tesco, cause I don't quite have enough cash to go and, um, to go and, uh, get one of the, uh, raw food meal delivery, um, uh options yep. which they are quite a lot of cash um i was looking at them like what what should i be getting okay so i'd i'd probably say you probably haven't found a good raw food manufacturer because there are some that are very very reasonable really? um yeah i'd, I'd say okay. that in terms of feeding from a supermarket and a good raw food manufacturer you your supermarket's probably gonna be just as expensive a lot of the time um, really? especially if you're considering diesel is quite a large dog um, yes he is yeah so i would if you're not sure about about how to balance a meal i i would go to a specific manufacturer that that deals with this and just research um yeah. other brands okay w- would you uh, you probably know a few names good manufacturers would you uh we can talk about them now. well we, we can name them now but actually would you send them to me after this episode and i'll put them in the show notes below the episode so people can yeah i mean have a look at them there are probably loads of good brands and i sure. just i just use a couple because they're That's convenient fine. and i can get them easily um that is all we need so yeah i mean i i'm a lover of nutriment that's what i feed my girls yeah i've heard i've heard um, good stuff about that possibly not the cheapest um i i tend to feed ones with veg in so yeah. i'd have to look up some good 80 10 10 ones um yeah. but i mean there's some lovely wholesalers that will f- that will deliver 
to, to straight to the customer and they'll get a yeah. mix of, of different brands in mm. and so you can mix and match and that makes do, it a lot do you, cheaper. Do you, do you do you freeze them like do they come yeah. as meals like so you freeze them yeah so you, do you have a massive freezer <laughs> um we have just bought a new freezer because with two dogs it's quite a lot of food yeah um, i can imagine but yeah so i yeah they, it all comes frozen and then you just defrost the amount that you need in the fridge um and then feed it once it's defrosted so yeah yeah um usually we have the rule of we've got two pots in in the fridge one's being used and then one's defrosting um nice. but it'll depend on the size of your dog with how much you need for smaller dogs especially there's um nature's menu that you can get in the majority of pet shops that 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 um actually do have raw food will probably have a nature's menu option they have little nuggets they are really handy for the smaller dogs so you can just take out a small portion and defrost rather than taking out a whole pack which you would do um with some of the other brands that's fascinating obviously not a problem with you and diesel you're probably taking out giant chubs at a time yeah we're taking out whole geese yeah um, <laughs> um we've done 53 minutes i mean I, I could talk to you all day yeah um i cannot thank you enough um, oh you're welcome well i can talk about dogs all day so <laughs> i know i know we'll have to get you on again um and obviously i'm hoping you'll sign up well you will be signing up to to uh to get whelp um yes. and and going through that with god we've got so many cool things in store with that with this business but um yeah like, our, our main aim right now is to create content for dog owners and also dog trainers because i'm sure a lot of trainers would be interested listen, listening to what, what you're saying and getting a different idea and 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 ways of doing things but i just want to bring the, the power back to the owner because i i think that there's a there's so much content out there yes. for dog owners but uh, not really a huge amount that we can get our head around um, yeah and there's it and there's yeah yeah there are, there are a lot of obviously places that you can go forums and facebook and you can ask for advice and the majority of the time that's coming from other owners which i'm not saying is a bad source of information but no, isn't necessarily no. anecdotal is good yeah but, yeah isn't necessarily um backed with with hours and hours and hours science and hours of, and, yeah, yes, of education training, yeah. and training and, and science and and yeah. qualifications which um although currently in the uk there are no kind of specific governing kind of qualifications you need to be a trainer anyone can call themselves a trainer but you at least want someone that has shown that they have gone to reputable places to educate themselves absolutely um i am going where, where can people find you if they think blimey i love Gemma. Uh, i want to get in touch awesome yeah so um i my company's called sussex canines and mm -hmm. i'm based in kind of the mid sussex area in the uk but i do online training as well so it doesn't matter where you are i can train with you nice awesome on zoom yes um yeah wicked uh, i'm gonna put all of your i'm gonna put your website um and uh on the show notes below uh awesome. we'll stick in uh for anybody interested in ridgebacks I'll, I'll link the southern rhodesian ridgeback society which i'm actually going to look at right away yeah uh we'll stick in <laughs> some uh some food i'm going to stick in all about dogfood.co.uk yes uh, i know we didn't discuss that actually in in this episode but we discussed it before so i'll stick that in the show notes below and um yeah if you could send me some uh send me some of those manufacturers um although they're they're, they're a selection of your favorites yes um they are they'll still be reputable and uh and if they're good for hungarian bizzlers then that'll be good for anything <laughs> yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah thank you so much you're welcome what a brilliant 56 minutes <laughs> it was good talking to you So what did you think? Puppy owners, there is tons you can take away from that episode, we think. You'll hear me say this a lot on this podcast. But Get Well wants to completely change the way the dog training and ownership industry works for you. We're on the side of the trainers and the dog owners, and we think there's a better way for dog trainers to present their work to dog owners. Basically, to make their brilliance way more accessible. I mean, 
mean, how cool is that? And we mean not just having a cool Instagram page either. There's lots of um, lots of trainers in the in the training world who are very very good at marketing, but not very good at training. So we're actually on the side of the trainers who often aren't that good of at marketing, but very good at training. So if you're interested by what we're doing at Get Welp, head on over to our website on www.getwelp.com. Check us out, drop us a message, let us know what you think. And if you are a trainer who's listened to this episode, get in touch. We want to feature you on this podcast as soon as physically possible. See you next week.